This is Sen from Soul Blonde, and you're listening to the new scene. Everybody and welcome to the new scene. I'm your host Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. How are we doing out there this week, huh? It's summertime. It's boiling hot out, and you know what? I hate the summertime. I hate it. It's too hot. Just yesterday, I went to run an errand. I'm walking in 90 degree heat, and by the time I got home, I had lost the will to live. I'm covered in sweat. You got to close the windows put on the air conditioner, sit there until you get cool, and then it gets too cold, and then I turn it off, and then I open the window back up. I like the windows open. I like fresh air. I don't like the air conditioner because it's too noisy, and I get too cold. It's no good. And on top of that, for recording the podcast, you can't have an air conditioner running while you're interviewing somebody. My air conditioner is right above my desk, okay? So during the summer... I got to have the window closed so there's no street noise coming in, and I can't have the air conditioner on. So I'm sitting here for an hour and a half, boiling, doing interviews. So July and August, not my favorite months. Can't wait until they're over. Looking forward to fall. But look, all of that aside, we have got a fantastic show for you this week. We have Will Teague from Dosser. Dosser is an excellent up-and-coming band from Baltimore, I recently discovered them, and I had to get them right on the show, and we cover everything with Will. This is a really fun, well-rounded conversation. We talk about the band. We talk about their history. We talk about everything they have going on. We talk about their latest record, Violent Picture, Violent Sound, and also a lot of other stuff, what it's like touring back in the day versus now, bands we grew up liking, shows we saw, bands that Will came up with in Baltimore. We cover everything, and that's coming up shortly, but first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Shirts, we've got shirts for sale at Death Wish Inc., short sleeve, long sleeve, a custom design shirt. We've got it all. Head over to Death Wish Inc. and search the new scene, and you'll see the selection of shirts. Pick one up. It's a great way to support the show. Reviews. Give us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On Apple Podcasts, you can write a review. If you write a nice review, I'll read it on the air in this section right here. And on Spotify, when you're done listening, there's a Q&A. You can put your thoughts in there. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Or you can just email me. You can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. Audio Karate, a show of hands EP is available right now. Listen to it on your streaming service of choice or order a copy on vinyl. There's low stock on a number of vinyl variants in the Iodine store. Garrison, Drowning Man, There Were Wires, The Darling Fire. Certain variants of these records are very, very low. And once they're gone, they're gone for good. Check the Iodine Instagram for the full list and get one before they're gone. Stretch Armstrong are headlining First in Flight Fest on Saturday, October 6th. Tickets are available now. 
at firstinflightfest.com. Sign up for the iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the iodine Instagram at iodine recordings or to the iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, New Morality Zine. That's right, New Morality Zine. They're a Midwest-based zine and independent record label specializing in hardcore, post-hardcore, and alternative music. The label has released music for bands such as Sunstroke, Buggin', Life's Question, Downward, Spite House, Demo Division, Spaced, and many more. New Morality recently released the 2023 promo from Brampton, Canada's Mile End. The band offers a fresh take on metallic hardcore, not unlike their influences, 108, Threadbare, and Xside. The young band has made a name for themselves putting on for their hometown and are touring the U.S. and Canada starting mid-July. Check out the NMZ site for dates. They have limited lemon yellow cassettes and merch available now. Starting this week, today, July 10th, New Morality Zine is releasing downwards two songs on 7-inch vinyl for the first time. These songs, originally released in 2020, became instant fan favorites and have worked their way to the top of Downward's catalog. Initially, these were released in three pressings of small lath-cut runs, but this offering features 7-inch splatter and colored vinyl. Pick one up from the New Morality store or from the band as they play throughout the U.S. this July. And don't forget, you can get 10% off any order in the NMZ web store with the code NEWSCENEPOD. That's all one word, NEWSCENEPOD. 10% off your order. Come on, do it. What are we doing? For more information, check out the New Morality Zine Instagram at New Morality Zine or check out their website at newmoralityzine.com. Okay, so check back in with me in segment three. I'll tell you everything that's going on with me. But right now, we are going to speak to Will Teague of Dosser. Enjoy. We are here now with Will Teague. Will, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, Will, it's great to have you here. You know, I recently discovered your band, and I've liked it from the first time I've heard it. You and the band are up to a lot. We have a fantastic new album out that just came out in January, Violent Picture, Violent Sound. There's a lot going on, Will, and we're going to cover all of that. But first, 
I want to ask you, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well, man. Uh, the weather in Baltimore was beautiful. I went on a hike, got a snow cone. There was a snow cone stand at the end. Uh, you know, shout out Island Jamaican snow cones. And uh, yeah, man, I feel good. I'm just hanging out, having a Bud Platinum on my couch, having a good time. <laughs> That sounds awesome. Now, I have to ask an important follow-up question. What flavor snow cone? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Bahama Mama. I'm usually an egg custard guy, um, or I get a little freaky with the spearmint. (laughs) (laughs) What's in Bahama Mama? Like, what's the flavors? I would say it was honestly just kind of like pina colada, like coconut flavored. (laughs) That was going to be my guess. You know, my favorite thing about summertime, this is like... I'm not going to call it a guilty pleasure because it's not even that crazy, but if I'm out in summer and it's burning hot, when I come home, I always make sure I have Italian ice in the freezer, right? I go uh, lemon, cherry, and uh, rainbow, red, white, and blue, and I come home from being out in the heat and I eat a couple spoonfuls of that. And uh, that's it. I love it. Oh, yeah. that's I haven't got it in so long, but that was a childhood staple in my household, like Luigi's Italian Ice. The lemon flavor was my favorite. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. I'm like addicted to it. In the summertime, I need it in the freezer, and it's there at all times. Oh, yeah. My, my first like retail job as a teenager was Arita's Italian Ice in Southern Maryland. So I got unlimited ice anytime. And then when they'd go to throw it out, because they could only keep it for two days, I just got to take all that home with me. And I was everyone's favorite friend. (laughs) (laughs) Rita's is so good. I'm from Philly originally. And uh, Rita's is a a staple there. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Honestly, I mean, the chillest job I ever had. Maybe one day that'll be like, if I get my shit together enough, I'll just open one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So did you grow up in Maryland? Yeah, I grew up a little outside of D.C., originally in a town called Upper Marlboro, um, and then my family moved down south um, to a town called Huntingtown uh, in Calvert County, which I guess there, I'd say that's about an hour south of D.C., and then probably about two hours south of Baltimore. How was it growing up there? Set the stage for us. What was it like? (laughs) Honestly, I mean, it was very rural. Um if you look at like a judgmental map of Maryland, they would call it like Alabama or something, <laughs> but <laughs> it was like, you know, small town vibes. Um, but there was a good sense of like uh, community within the music scene. Um, when I was booking down there, you know, Bandcamp had just come out. So y- you could just email all these other like DIY bands and, you know, they were young like us so they would take a chance and come to calvert instead of going to like dc or baltimore you know and um yeah i mean i went to high school with um pierce jordan of soul glow and you know it's awesome to see a person who came from my town you know go and pursue music you know be a lifer um and then my buddy tj strummer who's also in philly calvert guy he's in this band knife play that's on top shelf and yeah so like it definitely wasn't a place I would say like you would live to like be an artist, but coincidentally, I've known a lot of transplants that came from there that went on to go to like Baltimore and DC and Philly and so on and so forth. Yeah, a lot of uh, classic classic musicians out of Baltimore. Brian McTurnan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, huge fan. Battery, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And he's a 
one of the best producers of all time and in Be Well Now. You ever hear of uh, This Day Forward and Circus Survive? Yeah, yeah, dude. Great, great bands. Uh, yeah, I love, especially This Day Forward. Yeah, I had a big thing for that era of Screamo in high school. Yes, my friend uh, Brendan, who played guitar in both of those bands, Cumberland, Maryland. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. awesome, man. Where is Cumberland in relation to where? Now, I I only know Baltimore and Cumberland. Now, Baltimore we know is Baltimore, but Cumberland I remember being like really rural. Where where is that in regards to where you grew up? Yeah, so that's Western Maryland. So I don't know if you ever looked at the shape of Maryland. It is the weirdest fucking shaped state ever. <laughs> uh, so nothing makes sense because like I grew up in the southern tip where it's like just touching Virginia, and then. Whereas there, where you're talking about your buddies from, from the Stay Forward and Circus Survive, that's touching like West Virginia. So you would have to head like an hour or two, honestly, like two hours north and then another hour west to get to that town. So it'd be like a three hour drive. I got you now. See, I'm forgetting about Western Maryland. That's like no man's land. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's beautiful, though. I mean, definitely like I have a, I have a buddy who plays in a band, Sloth Herder. And um, yeah, I think he's like a social worker for the prison out there. That's like the big thing there is there's a big jail and then there's like the Appalachian Mountains, you know. So you mentioned some notable people that you went to high school with. What year did you graduate? Uh, so I'm, I, I like to say I'm still pretty young. Uh, I graduated in 2013. Okay. So wait, that makes you like 28? Yeah, 28 turning 29 in, I guess, five months from now. Okay, I can tell you. For a fact, you are still young, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I didn't I didn't start feeling kind of old. I don't feel old most of the time, but I didn't start feeling old until I was 40. I'm 41 now, but everyone thinks I'm younger than I am, so it's fine. So you're you're in prime time age right now. It's all good. Good, good. Thank you for uh validating me there. <laughs> it's it's tough. It, it has gotten to the point where, you know, like the audience of who's coming to our show starts to become younger of people getting in our music, like, you know, like early 20s college kids. So yeah, I am starting to feel the gap, but I know it's not actually that big and probably just me getting in my own head. <laughs> it is. And then I remember being 27 and feeling old and directionless and all this stuff. And someone sent me a Wikipedia link to Quarter Life Crisis, and it listed like everything I was going through. And then I was like, oh... Okay. But of course, when I look back on it now, uh, 27 was incredibly young. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's good to know. Uh, <laughs> things are, I think, starting to feel, especially with, like, with the band and the music, like uh, a lot more stable and consistent. Uh, like it's been a dream of mine since a teenager to play the fest. And we got that coming up this year. You know, like, I mean, getting to open for pianos on the leg of shows we did with them last year was really fun. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm embracing it. I'm loving coming into my thirties gracefully. <laughs> I love it. When did Dosser get started? Um, I think it was 2018. Um, so, which is wild cause it doesn't feel that long cause of the pandemic taking a couple of years off. But, um, you know, cause like we couldn't really do shows and stuff for a bit. Uh, we would still meet up and practice like once a week. Uh, but our circle was so small, you know, um, but yeah, it was 2018. We were all playing in these different bands and uh, Max, the drummer, approached me at a gig uh, that my old band was playing. And he was like, hey, my band's breaking up. 
uh, I heard your band might be breaking up soon. We should just get together and form like kind of a super group between our two bands. So uh, yeah, I joined a band with him and Brett who also sings and plays guitar. Uh, we kind of split it 50, 50, like, you know, Skiba and Adriano or, you know, uh, I might blank on the names, uh, I guess Mark Hoppus and, uh, Tom DeLong or whatever you want to say. Uh, yes. but, uh, yeah, those were like the two most obvious. I was like, or I guess the cooler example would be like Chris Woolard and, uh, Chuck Reagan. Yeah. But, uh, ah, yeah, there you go. yeah. The like 50, 50, you know, album split. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and then we were like, shit, we need a bassist. And I feel like it's always hard to find someone who's actually like really stoked to play bass. I know a lot of guitarists who play bass, which is the category I fall in. Um, at the, when I've played bass in bands, but then I remembered Eric from this band when skies are gray, that was more of like a post hardcore screamo thing. He's had the best tone and just really like fit that bassist role. Well, so I hit him up, even though I knew he wasn't like too into like the kind of like grunge revival thing that we were doing, but he joined and he was just like a perfect fit and we got along well. And, um, yeah, man, it's been great. Uh, I really, uh, uh, we haven't had any lineup changes in five years, so it's gone well. Wow, that's rare. Yeah, I'm grateful for it. But like I said, I mean, maybe let's call it three because the pandemic <laughs> shaves a couple of years <laughs> off. Yeah. How did your bandmate hear that your band was breaking up? Um, I think, honestly, we just like probably were kind of like dwindling out. And I feel like um, at the time there was like one of our members was like thinking about moving out west, which he didn't do. But I don't know. It, it, you can kind of tell, I think like our scene's so small and we just started playing less shows and, you know, stopped releasing new music. And, you know, sometimes I think you just like, you hit that. It's not even like there's no drama or anything. You just kind of hit like a dead end and you're like, I think this is, we've done what we're going to do. Like most local bands in my eyes don't last longer than like three, four years uh, is usually right. the, the longevity of them. So yeah, you just, you know, you hit that point. I really like, I think wanted to play this style of music and I've been itching to, and it was cool to like discover people that like also were into this style of music that I really wanted to pursue. What were you playing before that? I'm curious about the scene and the bands that grabbed you and the kind of stuff that you were playing. Yeah. So, um, I was in a band for a bit that I fronted called Graver and that was more in the realm of like Dosser stuff, like kind of, you know, shoegaze meets grunge stuff. Um, and that was more influenced. I think, you know, we all got really into that Avlov album, uh, and that band was wonderful and kind of like, you know, just had that Dino Jr. Sebado, like awesome, like indie weirdo, but like heavy sound. Um, and it was just done so well. Um, but also like kind of like low budget at the same time too, which was cool. Um, and yeah, like uh, that really resonated with me and my friends. And then I was in this other band that I played bass in that I wasn't like a core songwriter in, I wrote all the bass lines, but, um, with my friends and that was more of a kind of like, uh, slow core, I guess, kind of band. Like they really liked like, uh, the red house painters and like, uh, blue tile lounge and stuff like that, but kind of mixed with like midwestern emo stuff like cap and jazz and stuff at times too so definitely more on the emo side of that <laughs> coin i guess is what i was doing when i met these other guys brett and max okay so how did you decide 
you wanted to do something more like Dosser. Is that just is is that just more the style you were into and what you wanted to replicate? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always loved like I don't know, catchy. I'm a sucker for like power pop stuff, you know, and not that we fit in that category, but just like, you know, verse chorus, verse chorus format, lots of big chunky power chords fuzzed out. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I'd done stuff I think before where I was trying so hard to make something like unique that I kind of, I don't know, got burnt out and stuff or just tripped myself up in my own head. And I was like, what if I just did a band that, you know, takes elements of like, like I like hardcore and metal and stuff. Cause it's like that down tuning, uh, like thickness of the chords and everything. Um, and just the abrasiveness. So the first conversation me and Brett had was kind of like, we both wanted to do a band that was tuned down a little bit lower. And originally we wanted to be like tuned down so low. He used floor as an example, but we were like, that's yeah. way too low. <laughs> <laughs> like, like way too. So then we we're like, we'd have to get like baritone strings or something, and we we're like, nah. So or a baritone guitar or something, and then we uh we kind of settled at like a full step and a half down. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just easier to sing to that range. But yeah, I think I've always been a sucker for the '90s indie rock that kind of broke through to the mainstream a bit. Like I name dropped, I guess Dinosaur Junior and Sebado earlier. Like stuff in that vein. I just always, that's the way guitars sounded like they should sound to me and the way I like people to sing and stuff. So yeah, me and Brett just had that in common. Yeah. You know, the nineties influence seems a lot more prevalent these days and I'm here for it because when I was coming up, uh, 16, age 16 through 20, it was a lot of screamy, singy, melodic metal core or emo bands or pop punk bands and that stuff can be very hit or miss, you know, like I'll go through and try to check out like 10 new emo bands and I'll typically only end up liking one or two of them. Um, same thing with all the other kind of stuff. It's just, uh, I just find it to be very hit or miss, but the nineties influence stuff, uh, I mean, there's tons of bands out there that I could name, but all of that stuff that's happening now, most of it is really good. And, uh, I'm here for it. You know, I was in uh Tompkins square park, the other month and there was these young kids there and I think they were covering the violent femmes. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like these kids can't be more than 14 years old. So it needs, it seems to be uh seems to be a bit of a resurgence and I, I am here for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just went to a cover show myself in Baltimore and uh, one of the biggest hits of the night was uh, there was violent femmes cover band, but also there was one that was the backstreet boys but it was like a brass, all brass, like New Orleans style street band called the Brass Street Boys. <laughs> so all elements <laughs> of awesome. the 90s, you know, pop, indie, rap, whatever. They all seem like it's all kind of, you know, I don't know why. I mean, maybe the weirdest thing for me, like you're talking about getting old, like I'm imagining in 10 years, there's going to be like an early 2000s to mid 2000s, like nostalgia, which that's going to be weird for me because that was just my childhood. like. I'm sure the 90s. I think you said your age earlier that was that most of your like teen years and childhood. Yeah, I um in uh I remember in 4th grade the alternative explosion really happening. Like I remember becoming aware of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden all that stuff around 4th and 5th grade. Sick. Yeah, I mean that's I think also 
the big we're getting to like the bonding point of like influential stuff of like me and Brett too. Like, you know, we both grew up listening to mainstream rock radio and, you know, but like that era of it, um, which I think there was just, I don't know, something special there. Um, and then I feel like it kind of got a lot more sanitized. I think after that, like with, once you get into post grunge, that's when it becomes all the stuff that gets kind of like shit on now, like Creed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like before that, like, you know, even a band like hum, which would be what like wild to hear something like that on mainstream radio, but they were on like 120 minutes or even like sunny day real estate, you know? Oh yeah. 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 I've gone full circle with everything. I loved all of those bands. And then I new metal was starting to pop off, but, but you know, before it got dubbed new metal. So I was listening to that for a little bit. Then I got into hardcore and all associated genres and dropped pretty much everything else and went through the whole phase of like, oh, I don't I don't listen to any of that other stuff. I'm too cool. And now I'm 41 years old and I've circled all the way back around and I just like everything. I'll listen to some crazy hardcore. I'll put on a collective soul video. I don't care. Stone Temple Pilots, whatever I'm in the mood for, as long as it's good, it's it's good. Even corn, even some corn stuff I'll put in on and I'll be like, okay, I don't need I don't need to make fun of this. Like some of it is good. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I said this in a podcast interview recently with Brett <laughs> where we were doing like a dual interview and I was like, I, I, I would find myself listening to albums on YouTube just so my friends wouldn't see me listening to certain albums on Spotify. <laughs> like I was like, I'm not going to lie. I do that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like, Oh man, like uh, they can't actually know that. Like I kind of think this one, like, uh, What's the, like, I'm trying to think of like a guilty pressure, like, like trust company single is like kind of cool, but even though it's like, you know, so lame, but yeah, yeah, I, uh, I definitely, I think now it's weird that, you know, like Deftones are having a huge moment. I feel like I'm on TikTok because of the band and I want to reach out, you know, to all demographics, you know, I feel like, you know, um, and each social media kind of has a demographic as far as like age goes. And like with TikTok, it's like I see a lot of younger people, you know, in Deftone shirts. And I'm like, it's like we were saying earlier, it's cool to see like, you know, that band, you know, be the one that like they're finding instead of like one like Linkin Park or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like Deftones have been one of the most consistent bands because they they sort of transcended the whole new metal thing. And I, I feel like they've been going pretty strong ever since, well, ever since the beginning, but especially since White Pony. I mean, I remember White Pony blowing up and that being a whole thing. Yeah. And I don't know, something always sounded special in that. And like when I was saying about like stuff that sounds more like sanitized and just, you know, more for the radio, like, I don't know, something about those albums feels really genuine and real, um, even though it's mainstream, kind of like, you know, the, the Nirvana boom too. It's cool when something cuts through that, um, you know, maybe shouldn't have. Exactly. When I look back and see that Nirvana was the biggest band ever, you know, outside of the Beatles, it still surprises me because it's very aggressive at times. And they went completely against everything that, uh, you know, talking about uh, being against sexism and, and different social issues before anybody else was doing that the way they were. And it, it's just, it's a delightful surprise that they cut through everything like they did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's especially cool now because I think before the pandemic, uh, 
DIY culture, at least around here, was kind of dying. Um, and shows weren't really as well attended. But I've been seeing this big resurgence where I see people, you know, my age and older and much younger, like just saying fuck it and putting on shows, starting bands and people just going to weekday shows. And, you know, it's, uh, it's cool to see the spirit of that come back and it become, I guess I hate to say it, but like cool again. (laughs) No, I like that. I always hope that's going on and you're a little younger than me. So tell me about your scene coming up. What kind of bands were there? What kind of shows did you go to? What bands grabbed you early on? I'm curious about this. Yeah, yeah. So there was a church that would do gigs. Um, I feel like, I mean, this was probably very common at your time too, like church basements, right? Or like the FW halls. Yeah, like that kind of thing. So we had that in our hometown. And um, yeah, I mean, in the early 2000s, I feel like, which was when I first started going to shows, like the mid 2000s, there was a lot of bands that were coming off of like, you know, the Victory Records stuff, like you're saying, the Emo Screamo stuff. And this was like kind of a cool full circle moment for me. Um, I remember I am the avalanche because like I was too young for the movie life, you know, but they came around and they kind of also did, they had elements of pop punk, but they also did kind of have like a nineties indie rock vibe too. I feel like they kind of did that. And then, you know, I met John through just like playing music and then getting to record with him was such a treat because I remember seeing that band way before he was in it, but they would come down to Southern Maryland and play like those VFW halls or those like small venues um, on their tours, they do these one-offs. Um, so yeah, definitely like a lot of like what you were saying, the emo screamo stuff in the early years. And then when I got to high school, there was the emo revival boom, which was a lot of bands sounding like cap and jazz. Cause like Algernon Cadwaller, you said, you know, you're from Philly. I'm sure you're familiar with those people. Um, oh Yeah. Yeah, so like they blew up and there was a million bands from Northern Virginia and from my town that all like started pursuing that sound that discovered all of that early Jade Tree record stuff. So I got really into that too. Um and then at the same time like DC had an amazing like uh straight edge scene and while like I wasn't edge or anything, it just was such a awesome massive thing there and a cool community that they still have. I would go to shows at like St. Stephen's and I'd see like, uh, you know, um, all the Chris Moore bands like Magruder grind and Coke bust and sick fix. Uh, he, it felt like he was in like every awesome DC grind band at that time. Um, and then they would bring all these cool other hardcore punk bands. Like I remember seeing paint it black from Philly and it just like blew my mind, you know, like one of the most high energy shows I ever saw. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely like a lot of punk and a lot of emo. And I feel like that was my main point of interest and what I wanted to pursue later, hopefully. That sounds good. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the era, uh, mid two thousands. I didn't go to as many shows, but, uh, it's good to get the download from you. You know, I was like way into post rock and I was mostly just listening to that. So I missed out on a lot of the other stuff, but it's fine. Because I'm all caught up now. <laughs> what do you define as <laughs> post-rock out of curiosity? Bands like This Will Destroy You, Mogwai, Caspian, uh, Signal Hill, um, who else? Yeah, Explosions in the Sky, that's a big one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like all that kind of stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I uh, we we did that tour with Pandas Become the Teeth, and there was a band called Dream Tigers we played with. And I didn't know till the end of the tour that Phil from Caspian 
was the fill in Dream Tigers. And I was like, oh, like, it's just, you know, I, again, talk about things coming in full circle. That band's amazing. And uh, yeah, it was so cool getting to hang out with him. Just like the chillest, nicest, coolest guy I think I've ever met. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I Caspian was is one of my absolute favorite bands. So I would see them all the time. Go up to New, New York to see them. Go to Philly to see them. Eventually had Phil on this podcast, but a uh, super nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a good time. I just remember there was this moment on tour where they, I guess they accidentally booked two hotel rooms in Chicago. And we just played this great show at the Subterranean. I don't know. If, have you ever been in the Subterranean? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was my first time, I think, in Chicago proper. But we played this great show there. And, uh, you know, we had just been trying to find people's like floors to crash on or cheap motels. And um, they were like, hey, we, us and pianos are staying at this hotel tonight. We accidentally double booked a room. You guys just want to like pay us what you can. You guys can get the room. And we like, thank you. That's so kind. And uh, later, like, I don't know, it was just funny. He was just like, um, very like much just like was like adamant about like, you should come. Like, I don't care. Even if you don't pay me, just just do it. Like, and then it was funny. He would like pretend like he was going to come up to talk to us about something serious. He's like, but the real question is, are you going to come tonight? And are you going to come to the sports bar next to the the, the motel that we're going? <laughs> and are you going to party with us tonight? And like, he was just like, a, I don't know. I just, I, I'll have to listen to the episode with him on, but his demeanor is so like relaxed and like unbothered. Like I wish he is like what I aspire to be through like transcendental meditation, meditation or whatever he does to like achieve that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You slipped into the, the fill-up voice there for a second, and then I remembered all the stories he told on the podcast, and I was like, yes, it, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I just And that was, you know, I, I grew up on pianos, too, I guess, getting into, yeah, your question was about, um, like, stuff I was going to see out of my way in Southern Maryland or outside of Southern Maryland, and pianos become the teeth, were from Baltimore, you know, Ruiner was from Baltimore, Trapped Under Ice was from Baltimore, so... In those years, I think that was when I was in high school, like 2009 to 2013, and all those bands had like big moments in those years. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was super inspiring. Um, and yeah, it's been cool to see us get to go out with pianos and do that in the past year. Uh, it's also cool to see a band like Trapped Under Ice end up becoming a band like Turnstile or Angel Dust, um, and that's still going, you know, 10, 15 years later. Big time. Yeah. Have you heard uh, the guy from Pianos? He's in a new band called Burial Waves. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard that band? They're great. Yeah. I, uh, I've i been wanting to we've been wanting to link up with them. Yeah. Kyle Durfee, the singer of Pianos, also sings in that band. Um, and I believe Dave, Dave Rave, uh, <laughs> the drummer of Pianos, also drums in that band, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I need to go see them. They're playing a show with Spotlights, who are from New York, right? Yes. Wait. Yeah. Uh, they lived in New York. Now they live in Pittsburgh. Okay, cool. So they're playing a show with them and my other, our other friends band, the Dregs. Uh, but it's the same night as our show with Cathedral Bells in DC. So we're like swapping cities, but uh, us and the Dregs. But yes, Burial Waves are awesome. I think it's like half DC, half Baltimore guys, uh, two members of pianos. They're really good. Uh, if they're listening to this, we will tour with you. <laughs> And a brief aside, if you get a chance to see Spotlights, 
do it. They they headlined the run. I just went on with Darling Fire. Oh, great. Yeah, we got to play with them once, actually. Uh, I just remembered Shiner came through Baltimore, and Ooh. yeah, Spotlights and us were the openers, and I think also Heavywire. But yes, Spotlights blew me away. Yeah, amazing, amazing band. Just They kind of do the more lean more into like the floor thing. Like I don't know what their tune do, but it's like... It's awesome. It's very droney and like heavy. It's like groovy hypnotic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Great band. Awesome band. Also a band I definitely wouldn't mind doing more shows with. I think that was, that was like right as we were coming out the pandemic. So maybe that was like 2021 later or maybe early 2022. I don't know. But yeah, they're great too. It's another band that's doing the sound in a very cool way. It's innovative and uh, I love it. I'm here for it. So it's 2018. We have Dosser together, right? Yes. All right. Tell us about that. Tell us about the early days. Tell us about getting this thing started. Yeah. So I I had a practice space uh, that was like connected to an old auto garage. I don't know the legality of it. I paid the guy through PayPal. It was just kind of this thing in Baltimore. um, And yeah, it's just this rundown old space, and we meet up once a week and play. None of us knew each other too well, except for like Max and Brett. And uh, I think it took us a whole year to play a show. To be honest with you, uh, we like practice every week, and then I think nine months in, maybe we started doing demos in my basement of my old row house uh, with my roommate, who did a little recording on the side. And then we put out the demo, and we we're like, I think we feel confident enough to play a show. Uh, so our first show was at auto bar. It's really fun. It was just like a weekday show, but like all our friends came out and, uh, yeah, it was fun. And then, yeah, from there, I think we did our first EP brain scan like a year and a half later, uh, with Kevin Bernstein. And that was a great experience. Um, so yeah, I think the first year, I mean, like any band, like you, you're a musician, you've played in bands, you take, what you can get, you take the Monday show, you know, uh, wherever, and you try to meet people and find where your community is and like where there are people that actually want to hear your band are. (laughs) Right. Yeah. As difficult as that is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're still figuring it out. Like now we're like, Oh yeah. Like maybe we should like hit up that other band. Like, um, it hasn't been announced yet, but I don't care. Uh, it's not like a secret, but we're doing the fest this year and, we're touring down there and back with this band day aches from Virginia and they're awesome. And we've played with them, but yeah, I was just like, man, why didn't I think about doing that? Like they live so close to us and they're doing kind of a similar thing. Like they'd be great tour mates. I was just talking about this, about someone the other night. Uh, it was a friend, I think that I was at a comedy show and sky in a band. And he was like, yeah, like I think he was talking about getting a couple shows like Loma Prieta, and he was like, "Now, like every other screamo band's like asking to hit us up now, and how we got on that tour, and that was kind of our experience with pianos too." I think everybody saw us like this kind of, you know, no name band, small town band that was, you know, if we got lucky, we would get the opener show on a bigger show on a weekday, um, yeah, on that bigger tour, and then all of a sudden, it's like everyone comes out the woodwork, like, "Hey, man, like." can we open for your band or can you open for ours or whatever? You know, uh, everyone wants, you know, it's like, kind of like, everyone's like, what, what was the secret? How did you get there? And how can I get there? But in reality, we're still a very small band in the grand scheme of things. 
games. Yeah, and there's no secret. You just you take the shows you can get, you play as much as you can, you formulate relationships, and you don't formulate relationships to get something out of it. Like you play the gig, you become friends with people, you keep doing it, it builds, it builds, and then these things just happen naturally. Yeah, and I think that honestly, from 2018 to 2022, when we did that run with pianos, it, I mean, Eric had been tour managing for pianos for a while, and had the connection through that. Um, but honestly, I think Mike was at our first show, Mike York. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, I don't know how impressed he was or how unimpressed he was, but <laughs> it took until 2022 for them to take us on the road. Um, but when we recorded with John Marks and, you know, we had done a bunch of shows, I'd booked a million shows and, uh, you know, I think we really put in a lot more effort on that one, uh, on all fronts. And yeah, I think just like you can hear it if you compare the full length to the EP that we just like pushed that a lot harder. I mean, it's the difference of spending 10, 12 hour days in a studio, maybe even 14 hours at times uh, to spending three or four, eight hour days in a studio, you know? So you answered it partially, but what is the secret to putting more effort into it? Are you in the studio more hashing out ideas, working on them? Are you reworking parts of songs? Like what, what is the extra effort? I think honestly, like part of it's almost like matchmaking um, with a good engineer that just has chemistry with you. That's willing to go the extra mile for you. Um, And that's not to talk shit on anyone, (laughs) but I think John really genuinely like liked what we were going for. Um, And I chose him because I played with other bands. He was in like taking meds and stuff. Um, not in them, but like with my previous bands opening for them. And I was like, man, this guy's cool. I love the way all his bands sound and the bands he records sound. And then that drug church EP like cheer came out and I was blown away. And when I was thinking about like what I wanted to do, I was like, yeah, like that is obvious. Like he makes music that's catchy and melodic and heavy, you know, um, and just does that well. Uh, so for us, I think honestly, it was like, it's hard when we're all, you know, guys that, you know, like lower middle class, like we don't have a ton of money. Our label's a small label. They're not going to just hand us a bunch of money to make a record they might not make it back on. So that was all out of pocket. And I think we just kind of like went for it and strung together what band money we had from gigs and merch and pulled a good bit just out of our own bank accounts and went for it. But uh, it was honestly, I think if it wasn't with John, it would not have sounded the same. I think he just like was like, I will work with you from 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. And we will go for it uh, until we all can't anymore <laughs> every day. So that is, I think, the big thing is like finding your person that believes in your band and gets your band uh, and that wants to push you. That is uh that's good insight, right? Because it's just the way it is. Like you will connect with other people more right like there's engineers who will just record you and they might not get too involved and you know they're doing their best they're doing a good job but it's not going to take it to that deeper level right that you would get from john yeah yeah i think you know recording with kevin he does a lot of the more heavy stuff around baltimore i also don't think we had as much money i think we weren't willing to put (laughs) the effort because it was our first dp so what we were saying earlier like a lot of bands last two three years uh and then they just implode so what's the point of putting in thousands of dollars into something that's going to do that? Uh, but we put out the first EP and that got us on really rad records. They were willing to put it on vinyl and like help us out with some PR, yada, yada. 
And then, you know, when it came to the second record, they kind of gave us a good game plan for that. And yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just, I think we all just were like, yeah, I think we can go for it. Uh, we have enough, uh, you know, in the bank to kind of like go 50, 50 on it. Um, 50% of money out of our pockets and 50% out of the band budget and just really, you know, just see like where this thing goes. But, uh, I, I think I was the one who pushed for John. Uh, we were between John and Jay Robbins, who was also a fantastic engineer, but Jay just got back to us. He was going through some life stuff and I think he got back to us the first day or it might've been the week of that we were about to record with John. So like, we're not going to just bail on this guy. We already committed. We put down the deposit and, uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved working with John. I honestly wouldn't mind working with John and Jay, which has been a conversation of like John coming down to like magpie cage and who knows, you know, uh, for whatever we do next. But now that would be something. Yeah. Right. And I mean, Jay, speaking of bands like, you know, Brett is a mega fan of Jawbox. Um, his old band Room Runner recorded with Jay, you know, I mean, uh, as far as like local music too, like, you know, Jawbox, Burning Airlines, just awesome stuff. Awesome people. Yeah. That first Burning Airlines record is an absolute classic. I think that's my favorite Jay Robbins thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think like I am just stunned at how like the longevity of like from, um, I'm going to make sure I say the right one because there's the one from Richmond and the one from DC. He was in government warning or government issue. Which one was it? I think issue. Issue, government issue. Because government I warning think. is the, the, I think the hardcore punk one. But you know, from. Yeah. If, uh, if we're wrong, don't get mad at us, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, so yeah, from, but from Jawbox to Burning Airlines to the current solo uh, project he's doing, but he has a backing band with the celloist and, you know, the full band set up. It's just awesome. I mean, like, just what an inspiration and an iconic person, you know, for all of us other, like, indie rockers and punks or whatever to look up to uh, and see, like, him just consistently put out material and help other bands achieve their sound. Because just like Brian McTernan, you know, a lot of the stuff, like, Jay's worked on was a lot of my favorite stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Prolific musician and producer engineer. No, uh, No disputing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of like also like, you know, as the path of a musician, like seeing the different areas you can go and like, you can become the person who books the shows or owns the venue, or you become the person who like produces or engineers. Um, you know, I know there's many different directions you can go, um, with it, but yeah, I'm definitely think, you know, so many people have to thank. It's like my buddy bought me a copy of the promise rings. Nothing feels good. And like, that was like my favorite record in high school, loved it. And, uh, it took me until like now, and this is the cool thing about vinyl. I'm looking at the artwork and I'm like, wait a second, that's ocean city, Maryland. That's the ocean city, Maryland boardwalk. And then I read the liner notes. I'm like, Oh, this was recorded with, you know, Jay at magpie. And I was like, I never knew that. <laughs> so I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'd have to, but I know the cover and I'm pretty sure the story is that, they recorded at Magpie, you know, Ocean City's right there across the bridge. So they probably, you know, had the studio time and, you know, made a little vacation at some point over there to the beach. But yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's it's just so cool. I don't know, the music history of it all. And yeah, I love Baltimore and I love Maryland and it's such a small state, but it's definitely dense with a lot of talent. Big time. So um, when you're starting up Dosser, right, you're probably what, 23, 24 years old? Yeah, yeah, that's right, about right on the money, yeah. 
So where are you at in life at that point? You're out of high school. Were you going to college? Did you want to? Did you want to do music full time? Like, what's the story? Yeah. So, I mean, when I started Dosser, I think I had, and this is kind of where the name came from too. Like I was at a, I dropped out of college. I was trying to like work jobs, you know, part-time jobs, like multiple ones and go to school. I just couldn't hack it. I was always in debt and always like, kind of, you know, almost falling short on rent. So I just decided to just work. And, uh, you know, I was renting and just kind of like living in place to place. Like, you know, things were kind of like uncertain for me for my future. And then, you know, when Dosser started, I felt like, I don't know, like finally I was like, oh, this is like where I belong, you know, um, with this group of people and something I could pursue. And everything from there in life kind of felt a lot better. Like. Um, I'd say like, you know, like in previous bands, I, I always felt like there was something missing. Uh, but with this one, it's definitely been the tightest, most like functional group of people that provided stability, you know, ironically from the name being like a British word for basically a person who kind of doesn't have a home and just sleeps from like motel to motel and gets drunk and kind of just fucks off. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of like, I mean, I think at the time, like, uh, 22, 23 year old me was definitely like, you know, I was renting a house with my friends in the city and, you know, we all, you know, had pretty low responsibilities, low bills and just, you know, kind of were just figuring shit out, uh, you know, working industry jobs and just trying to, you know, go from paycheck to paycheck and, you know, do our best. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I think this band definitely gave me a lot of hope. And I think when we started, and especially when we started playing out and we started getting these like cool opening gigs more. Um, I was just like, man, like this is what I've been waiting for. I I'd lived in the city since I was 18. Like to answer your question. Yeah. Like right out of high school, I moved to Baltimore um, to go to Towson in the County. And then that wasn't really for me. So then I moved further into the city and was just working as a bartender or server for a while. And uh, yeah, I mean, just went to like multiple shows a week until, I found the people I wanted to like hang out and collaborate with. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so you're locked in now. We have the band. We're doing this thing, right? That's the focus. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, you know, and we're all working people. So we all have day jobs, you know, like I kind of have a funny call center help desk job. I saw you follow me on social media. So you'll see lots of like funny uh, stuff that people submit for that, that I like to post. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then Brett, I don't even know what to call what he does. Like he, he like, he goes to BWI at the airport early in the morning and he just stocks vending machines, uh, with like energy drinks and sodas and stuff. And he makes more money than me. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Max is a graphic designer and Eric pretty much runs his own like dog sitting dog walking business. But, uh, we all definitely, you know, the dream is obviously to do the band, part to full time, but we just do it, I guess, as much as we can with what we got for now. But it's a, it's a fun endeavor, you know, and it's, it's clicking with people and I'm here talking to you. So have you uh, considered switching to the vending machine job since it pays more? Dude, completely. Honestly, I'm like (laughs) some weeks I'm like, what the fuck am I doing trying to like solve these like, you know, technical issues. But then I think about, you know, I'm not a morning person. Like I switched from 10 to six to eight to four recently. And they asked me to like come in once a week and that job's based in like the DC suburbs. That's like an hour drive. And I was like, God damn it. 
And like Brett, meanwhile, like I'm complaining about that. And I think he wakes up at like 4 a.m. every day to like drive to the airport to just, you know, restock vending machines. And honestly, yeah, I mean, but, you know, he's killing it. Uh, I'm proud of him. Uh, yeah, we used to just kind of call him like tow truck Brett because he was working for like AAA, I think, before that. <laughs> and then <laughs> other than that, I think he was working for a company called like Shred It which was also funny because it's like... Oh, I know Shred It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like we were like, you got to wear that to the gig, man, because it's like you're shredding and you're shredded. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah. What about... He has to. Yeah, oh, big time. What about... So do you... I know you said you you play in Darling Fire now. Uh, Yes. Do do you have a... I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it on the podcast. Do you have a day job or does it have to be... Are you undercover? <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm not under. Well, I'm undercover, but I'm not. I, okay. I work as a consultant, but I am fully remote. Okay. So I can, you know, as long as I have a computer and an inter- and, and an internet connection, I'm good. And I do on-site stuff sometimes. And I, I imagine it would conflict with the band at some point, but it hasn't yet. So, it, uh, you know, remote, that's the way to go. Yeah, we're in a similar boat. As soon as I figured that out, uh, I was like, you know, and now they have me going the one day a week, but it, it's in the middle of the week, so it's not a big deal. I kind of get to choose. So when we, tour, yeah. you know, it's not as hard um, to do. And there's, I mean, they're just nicer about time off. But if I have to like work from a hot spot, I could, you know, kind of thing. My job is uh, supportive about the band thing so far, and I, I, I'm I'm the kind I'm the type of person I don't take PTO. Like I would never take off except. I don't know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. So now I'll like actually use my PTO for touring stuff. Now I have a reason to. Yeah, as you should. I mean, I think it's important, you know, a lot of what we write about is mental health. And I mean, things I think, the thing about music that's cool that I realize as an adult is a lot of people that play music, they're not superheroes. You know, they're just regular people uh, that need an outlet and a community that's supportive. And uh yeah, I mean, it was awesome. It was kind of like an awesome, but like realization, you know. But when I was in a small town, I would look to those people, like I was saying, like the pianos become the teeth, ruiner, trapped under ice folks, like they were gods. Like I was like, I could never fathom, you know, being in this international touring act, you know, um, not that we've reached that, but <laughs> like, you know, I just, I would see these bands come from our, my state and it was inspiring. Uh, but then I came to find out, you know, these are all just real people like me that, you know, deal with the same dumb, annoying shit I do. So (laughs) exactly. You know, I'm happy to hear you say that because that's the same thing I learned doing this podcast, right? When I was 16, 17, and I got into this music, we would book shows that we would go to shows. And it was the, you know, the bands coming up at the time were Converge, Botch, Dillinger, Escape Plan, uh, turmoil, like all these classic bands who I looked to as gods. And I thought, I thought they were like 10 years older than me. They were like adults to me. And I didn't realize we were close to the same age and that they were people just like me. Right. Yeah. Big time. And I completely agreed. The huge one for me that was closer to my age was probably title fight. Um, oh, I would, yeah. yeah, I would, uh, carpool with my friends who could drive to see them, you know, in Baltimore and DC and be blown away, come to find out. Yeah. I mean, they're not much older than me and, you know, just regular dudes, but just incredibly talented regular dudes. (laughs) Exactly. So we're playing in the band now. uh, 
How did you fare during the pandemic? Did you, I, I mean, ev- music stopped at that point. Did you guys write during that time? Like, what did you do? Yeah, so we still had that auto garage space and we were like, well, what the fuck else are we going to do? You know, uh, we all are thankfully, you know, pretty healthy guys. So we just show up, wear masks. You know, we were tested pretty regularly, you know, already to like see our families or work or whatever. So yeah, we, we would still meet up once a week, hang out, hash stuff out. And I think the majority of our newest record, Violent Picture, Violent Sound, was written during the beginning of the pandemic, you know, that first year, because there was nothing else to do. I mean, you know, I, I worked from home, thankfully, uh, at a call center job. And, um, you know, they didn't want us coming in because they're like, we just want to keep the cases low. And then, yeah, I mean, I think my fiance was still working the same job she has now, which was also remote. And I mean, you know, we would only hang out with friends that didn't live in our house in the backyard. Uh, So it's like, what else are you going to do for fun? So it was kind of an awesome time to write, to be honest, because there wasn't a hell of a lot of distractions. Whereas I feel like now as we're writing music for another EP, there are a lot of fucking distractions. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. The pandemic, I think, was, if I'm not mistaken, when really Rad Records hit us up to sign us. So we were, I think, a quote unquote, pandemic band. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? How'd they get in touch with you? I think it was just uh, like an email. I think, uh, yeah, I said this before on another podcast. It was, I, I suck at, you know, keeping my inbox clean. But one day I saw a message from Bandcamp because we'd occasionally sell a t-shirt or a tape from our Bandcamp when we were still like a self-release band. And it was from this guy named Gardy. And I was like, okay, what's really rad records? And I saw like taking meds and soul glow and see you space cowboy. So I was like, okay, they, they look real. Um, and they, <laughs> not all those bands were signed, but they might've done like distribution for them. Um, but they were signed to other labels, whatever. So I, I messaged some people I knew like Pierce from soul glow or Skylar from taking meds. I'm like, Hey, are, you know, is this label legitimate? Are they cool to work with? And they said, yeah, so then I, we had a conversation in a meeting and signed to them. But yeah, it was just, I think they found us through Bandcamp. Um, and then we just kind of like met over Zoom and talked and we liked his vision and his kind of like uh, handshake deal um, of doing it, you know? Um, it didn't seem like he was trying to get one in on us. He really just seemed to believe in us and was willing to take a lot more risk than I'd say a lot of people would have at that time for a relatively unknown band. That's great. So once you're on the label, I mean, do things pick up more? Are you getting better shows? Are you getting on more tours? Like, how's it working out? Yeah, I think after that point, like once shows were allowed to happen, I feel like we were taken a little more seriously because, you know, we the record came out, it did well, like we sold the first, I think he only bought 100 copies and those sold out in like a month, like if that. And then, you know, uh, we started just like playing as the opening band for bands around here that were more well-known that we're touring through. And then eventually, you know, when it came to our release show, it was our first time, I think, headlining a show proper. Um, and then that, you know, was a little over 300 people, which I would have never imagined. Like if we packed out, you know, the hundred person basement dive bar, that was a shock to me. Like I was like proud of myself, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it, it did help us be taken more seriously, I guess. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I discovered the band. I was, uh, I find that when I listen to music most, 
is when I'm traveling for my band, right? Because you're in the car, you're driving long distances. It's great to put on a playlist and just let Spotify do its thing sometimes. So my playlist ran out and then you guys came on and I was like, oh, who is this? Good new band. And I, uh, it was a song from Brain Scan that grabbed me and then Violent Picture, Violent Mind. And I was listening to you one day and I think the next day, uh, the band followed my podcast account and I was like, hey, how about that for timing? And now here we are. Hell yeah. That's awesome. That's kind of the same way that Dan from Getting It Out podcast found us. He was like, I was listening to Narrowhead and then that album ran out. And then Spotify just does this thing where they play something similar, which I love. And I look at the data and I see that, but that's like one of few good things I can say about, say about Spotify and artists. Uh, uh, like, exactly. I wish they paid us more, but it does. The algorithm does such a good job of like curating, you know, if you're listening to like, you know, a certain kind of album, it might show you other bands from that region of a similar sound or something or a similar scene. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of bad things about Spotify, but they nail that radio thing. I know if I let that roll, I'm going to discover a couple of good new bands. Yeah. I mean, I check our radio <laughs> just to like, see like what else is coming out right now around, you know, in our subgenre of music. Uh, and honestly, a lot of times, like I'll just use that to follow other bands. Like I'll be like, Oh, Hey, like, there's a band doing something similar to us that are just like a couple hours north, south, west, east of us, whatever. And then I'll just, you know, follow them and listen to their music and hopefully like link up at some point. Um, so honestly, I think probably how we found Day Aches uh, and how I found Darling Fire, to be honest, which is awesome. And your podcast. Oh, nice. You know, this is a great. I'm going to take some notes. Hold on a second, Will. Uh, go to <laughs> Darling Fire Radio. Okay. Yeah. We're learning so much today. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like, you know, you were in bands, I imagine, before this crazy, like, social media era became such a annoyingly, like, prevalent thing for music. And, you know, now it's like I kind of, over the years, have tried to learn how to use it for good for marketing to, like, you know, connect with other bands in the scene and connect with other people that are interested in that. But, uh, I don't know. Like it's so when you were coming up, was it more like the classic, like printing out flyers and putting them up over town or going to other band shows and passing out flyers after the show was done or exactly. We there was a record store called corrupted image on South street in Philadelphia. And you would go there and that's where all the flyers would be for all the shows happening. So you would go, you would pick up flyers and that's how you would figure out what shows were happening or people would be handing out flyers at shows or it was word of mouth. Right. And this is what ninety nine two thousand, and I I didn't I wasn't in a band till two thousand four, and by then like MySpace was starting to happen, so that was the beginning of everything. Um, but you know it was just uh, trading phone numbers. Yeah, uh, you give you get this guy's phone number. I think he's a promoter. And this date you call, you book it. Uh, basically everything over phone. Yeah, which is amazing and like so much trust because you can't be as investigative. You know, I feel like now it's like you know you can kind of be like, okay, I'm getting hit up to play this bar, you know, and you can kind of like look into it and be like, is this actually going to be like worth the three hour drive to this bar? <laughs> but, yeah. You can jump on yeah. Google maps, make sure the bar exists, maybe yeah. even see inside it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause like, you know, some, you play some really random ones and I even experienced some of that because in the more high school era of touring, like late high school, when we first got our driver's license, 
I remember there was a, God, I don't know, I even know what the fuck it was called anymore. It was do DIY or something. It was some website and it was a bunch of people that booked DIY shows across the country. And sometimes they were rad. It was like cool house show scenes and college towns. And other times you're like, how the hell did I end up on a bill with like a straight up like Christian band in a basement in Peoria, Illinois? Like what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I mean, it, that was part of the fun was the mystery, I guess, too. I don't know if you agree with that. I, no, the mis- I, I think uh, we're missing uh, some of the mystery and some of the fun with it. Like, I, uh, we used to just drive to shows. All we'd have is an address. And I have no idea how I got there because I have the worst sense of direction. I'm like, wow, I drove far distances with just a map or like a paper map or just an address. And how the hell did I even get there? I have no idea. I get lost now with Google Maps. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. And like, I've always toured with GPS, whether it was before iPhones, maybe it was, uh, you know, an actual Garmin, but I don't think I ever had to tour with a map. So it's amazing even to like, think about that and DIY, like you said, like, uh, residential homes that had shows and like trying to find the one with the house that like, isn't numbered clearly in the dark, (laughs) you know? And I I see that archive too. Like, you know, like I'll see a lifetime flyer pop up on uh, Instagram and I'll look up the address on it or something or the name of it to try to find it. I'm like, Oh, this is just some random town in Delaware that this happened. Yeah. Yeah. You see the phone number on the flyer. You're like, I wonder if that's still the guy's mom's house, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, earlier you said the band writes a lot about mental health, yes? Yeah, yeah. I think that if there's a common theme at all, I think that would be the common theme of it. Talk about that. I mean, uh, have you gone through things personally? Do you write about things personally? And I ask because it's a recurring theme for me and this show as well, because there's many years that I was out of it because of drugs and alcohol and just feelings of hopelessness and self-hatred and all that stuff. And I've, I've worked through a lot of that and I continue to work on that. And it's, uh, it's something I like to talk about with people to, to let people know that there's help out there, right? Whatever that is. Because when I was all by myself and I had no one to talk to, I would read books about, I don't know, celebrities who went through the same things, or I would listen to like Howard Stern or podcasts. And, and those would, that would be like, a bond I made with people who weren't there. So tell, tell me about some of your experience. Yeah. I mean, and thanks for sharing that with me, Keith. I mean, I think yes. uh, I, I, that's kind of hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of times when I felt alienated and I first started like having panic attacks or like depressive episodes, I think, you know, I grew up raised, you know, Roman Catholic and very traditional family values in middle of nowhere, Maryland. And, you know, there wasn't much, you know, progressiveness or support for like a person who was like mentally ill and creative. Like in Calvert, it was like, I think, you know, you had uh, either track to become like, you know, blue collar kind of guy like my dad was like working in the trades um, or, you know, you like maybe had to succumb to like, like you said, like the drinking and drugs stuff. Um, If you weren't really in with like, you know, the, the crowd that played sports and was more in the traditional path, you know? Um, so unfortunately, yeah, I think at a young age I fell into drinking, uh, and you know, experimentation of drugs and stuff like that. And a lot of my friends did. And, uh, 
you know, you kind of, it's weird. Music bonds you with people that are kind of similar in that realm. And I think that there's a cool way where you listen to like lyrics of like some other songwriter somewhere and they are like talking about things and they might not even be saying it. They can be kind of vague. Like me and Brett have always said the way we write at times it's very blunt at times it's more vague and metaphorical, but you can just almost like feel it based on the sound. And I think for us, I think I love most getting messages from people. Like I got a message from a guy from like Japan recently and he just talked about how he'd been so depressed and in a rut and he listened to our album and it reminded him of all the music he grew up loving. And he started playing guitar again because he listened to our record, you know, and that's all I want is for my music to reach people who feel lonely. Maybe they live in a middle of nowhere, stupid town, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they just, you know, they just feel like alone and they're so lost that it's just completely made them feel separated from everything, but the music grounds them and makes them feel more connected. And that's what, you know, a lot of those old, you know, emo and punk and hardcore records did for me. It it helped me make sense of like my frustration or my sadness. Um, So I think I'm just writing from that perspective and hoping that someone else who has gone through that or is going through it can hear that and be like, I'm not alone. You know, I, I can talk about this openly or I can, you know, be a part of a community or start my own band or write or start a zine, whatever, like anybody can do it. Um, we're all, like I said earlier, it comes back to, we're all just regular people doing this to kind of provide an outlet for others. I love that. Yes. And I, it might sound kind of hokey, but I think the energy you put into it is going to be that the, the energy that somebody else picks up on, like maybe you're going through a particular struggle, you channel that into a song you write, someone else going through that is going to pick up on that and it's going to help them through that moment, whatever it is they're going through. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I think that, um, yeah, like you can tell when someone's writing something to be a hit or like, you know, to achieve a certain kind of thing, uh, which is fine. If that's what you're trying to do, cool. You know, I respect everyone's creative process, whatever. Um, but I do think, you know, for me, when I discover an album, I love, um, I don't give a shit if it has, you know, a hundred thousand, a million or 10 listens on Spotify, you know, or whatever. Right. I just right. am looking for something that I resonate with, you know, and that's all I hope to do. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, no, I feel you. I grew up lower middle class, Roman Catholic, went to Catholic school and you didn't talk about these kinds of things. It was just like, deal with it, be quiet, go to school, go to work. That's it. So even now at my age, when these conversations are a lot more common now, but even now when I have them, and I have them a good deal on this podcast because I want to be able to help people similar to what you're talking about, I still tell myself like, you sound weak, be quiet, don't do it, you sound stupid. There's like that negative nagging voice uh, telling me not to do it. But I I push through that and I want to be open and honest with people because you know people have written me too and said that things I talk about help them or you know maybe they smoke weed less now or they drink less now and I'm those are the best stories right those are the best stories and you know because you've experienced it that uh, something you're doing is helping other people yeah no 100% i think earlier 
maybe before we were recording, I was talking about, um, you know, uh, Toby, Tony, Toby Morse from H2. Toby Morse. Yeah. yeah. And um, he runs that podcast, uh, like One Life, One Chance. And I was listening to the episode with Dave Haas from The Loved Ones. And I grew up loving those records. And, uh, you know, he talks about the cocaine and the alcohol and the touring and all that stuff. And it was so much of like, you know, what, you know, me or my friends went through. And, uh, yeah, I just am like, it's cool to see someone also who's like aged a bit and gracefully and like been through a lot of tough, difficult shit and then got on the other side of it and wrote about it so vulnerably and so honestly, um, and proudly. So yeah, I think it is cool to do it. I also think it is amazing that people are still pissed off and writing about politics and, you know, social issues too. That is definitely super awesome that that is more normalized now. Um, it just so happens to be what I think me and Brett feel comfortable writing about is the stuff that we, you know, experience that troubles us and this is our outlet for it. So that's how we, you know, transcend that. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I hope I might be wrong. I feel like there's less of a focus on drugs, especially since the 90s. I hope that's the case because you know, I've had my days with them and they there was very long time, a lot of days with them. And it's just a waste of time. But the, the unfortunate part is now that like fentanyl is in everything and you're much more likely to die. So I I hope that younger people are realizing that it's it's a waste of time and uh that it's dangerous and it's really I don't know, it's just really not worth going down that path. But it's easy, right? It's an easy trap because when you're in it and it sweeps you up before you develop any adult skills like uh i guess it's an easy shortcut to feel how you want to feel yeah and definitely i do think you know there have been times where maybe like in certain art forms or things it was perceived to be romanticized but maybe someone was just actually trying to write about what they're going through and you think they're awesome and then you kind of want to emulate it like you know i mean like hey i fucking love the replacements but uh you know i mean i don't I could never foresee Dosser being the band that could, you know, put down a fifth of Jack and then play a decent set. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you know, and, uh, but yeah, I just think there is definitely like, uh, I think I feel like the people I see putting on shows and playing and stuff, there's a lot less focus on the, the drugging and the drinking. And, uh, it seems like people just want to see people perform well, you know, they don't, want to just watch you party. So yeah, I I think you're right uh, on the money about all that. And I I mean, I think also like it's becoming like, for example, like with a band like Turnstile popping up, not all of them are edge, um, but like, I'm pretty sure the singer is, um, but just like commercializing almost like that or like straight edge scene and like showing that you can be super cool and successful and unique and also like not have to, you know, take acid to be creative (laughs) and nothing wrong if you do. And, you know, you're, you know, able to function as a human, but I think it's cool to like, you know, that now it's like, yeah, you know, you don't, no one gives a shit. Like if you can write a great song and perform well, you know, no one's going to hopefully give you shit if you're having a beer or not, or smoking a joint or not. Like if anything, like I said, I felt like on times I've like gone on sobriety breaks, I've like had the best results, like two months before we did our show, I just decided I was like, I'm just going to like do a complete abstinence from alcohol just to like get my head right and get ready for like, 
doing this big thing. And it helped a lot, provide a lot of clarity, you know, I, and again, like I'm not edge, uh, but I do respect the culture of it and just like the self-control and also self-awareness of like being in control and taking own of your own mind, you know, cause I think it's one of few things that as people we do, uh, have a lot more control of. That's great. Yeah. And you know, if, uh, to everybody listening, if you're like Will and you can do your thing, but then you decide you want to stop drinking and you stop and you get focused and you, you're and you can be responsible, do that. And if you're like me where you need to do drugs from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, seek help <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's not a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, uh, you know, I mean, I saw it happen to a lot of people, talented, good people. And uh, yeah, you never think, you know, you're going to end up there until you're like, oh, shit, I'm there. And like, what happened? <laughs> you exactly. Know? Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, it sounds like such a cliche, but that's literally what happened. Well, that's what happened to me. One day I was just like, oh, shit, it happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a Mark Maron joke where he's like, I don't trust anybody that hasn't just been like, oh, that year, I don't know what happened that year, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or just, you know, but no, yeah, I mean, it, it's cool to talk about. And I think, you know, uh, if Brett was being interviewed, he'd say the same thing, just how, you know, he writes from a very personal place. I write from a very personal place. It connects us to listeners and other bands that, you know, share a similar thing. And uh, yeah, it's just good that we can all build a community that's supportive of that and not, you know, trying to. I don't know, feel like it's not cool to, um, you know, or anything like that. I think a lot of the stuff, especially in the intense world and climate we live in environmentally, socially, politically is conducive to a lot of these problems. So it's good that people are finding a good outlet for it. I agree. I agree. So uh, in January of this year, we released Violent Picture, Violent Sound, yes? Yeah, yeah, uh, we did. Yeah, January 20th. Now, I feel this is the strongest release yet. Uh, I'm really digging it. How are things going? People are responding well to the album? Are good things coming up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mentioned earlier, the big thing I'm excited for is the fest in Gainesville in October and the tour down there and back with Dakes. Um, we are playing with this awesome band from Orlando called Cathedral Bells this week at Corey House Tavern, which is like an old venue in Silver Spring, Maryland, just outside of DC. We're headlining a festival called uh, Staycation that's put on by Break and Even Booking in DC at Pie Shop. So it's like really cool opportunities coming up. And, you know, this year, I think the things we've gotten to do so far, like opening for Fairweather and Liars Academy, um, you know, getting to play on some bigger stages, opening for casket lottery and taking meds, um, and then doing our own release show where we pretty much were able to sell out auto bar, like a big three fifty cap venue was, uh, all amazing things. So I think uh, I am just amazed that four small town dudes with regular jobs, uh, you know, were able to make this cool album and that thousands of people continue to listen every month and, we're continuing to get these cool offers for festivals and shows. I love it. Yeah. A lot of, wow, a lot of great shows in there. I was at the Taking Meds Casket Lottery gig up here in New York City. That was awesome. Fairweather and Liars Academy, I both, I've both had on this show. Awesome bands. A lot of good shows, huh? Yeah, yeah. And again, I think, you know, 
I was heavily influenced by uh, like small brown bike and they did that split with casket lottery. So it's another cool, like full circle moments I'm seeing where it's like, awesome. Like finally the bands I wanted to aspire to be, I'm getting to actually meet and play with, which is a cool moment. So the fact that like making this album brought me to those places is really cool to see, um, to get to meet these people in person and see them perform and share a stage with them. I love it. Yeah. 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 Through the podcast, I've met a lot of, these artists as well. And that is the best, you know, I was a old guy flex. I was at the first casket lottery tour with small Brown bike. And then I've had several of them on this show. And I, I got to meet uh, Stacy a couple times at a show. And it's just, it's just nice. It's just, again, like we were talking about before you, you put these people on a pedestal and you think they're older and just on a different plane of existence, but then you meet them and you realize that they're just cool people just like us doing their thing just like us. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I think that's amazing that you got to see them, uh, in their early stages. Um, I was just a wee boy, you know, listening to them on last FM and (laughs) dreaming of, (laughs) you know, maybe one day getting to see them, but it, it was weird. Like everything was shitty timing for me there where it's like a lot of those bands, I think broke up or took hiatuses right when I got my driver's license. But now, and maybe you can like, weigh in on this it feels like post pandemic i don't know if everybody has had this like a realization that like hey like we have a finite amount of time here let's like have fun and go for it but i see so many bands like reuniting doing these awesome reunion tours and killing it um that i may have not had a chance to see like i never thought in my whole life i'd see jawbreaker and i've got to see them twice in the last five years you know Everybody's reuniting. Everybody's playing. Venues are booked up. You know, it's hard to even book shows. And you know what? I'm here for it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I have noticed that too. I have been like, I'm like, Hey, what's up? Uh, can I book this show? Like if I was booking it now, I'd be like, can I book the show October 19th? And they'd be like, maybe let me check things and get back to you in a few days. So, you know, it is, but that's good. It's good that, cause I feel like before it wasn't that way before the pandemic. So I'm glad that, you know, people are staying busy. People are showing up to shows. I hope, you know, people in towns that don't have clubs and bars and community spaces are still doing house shows, uh, you know, and still like, finding inventive ways to bring music to their community. I like it. Yeah. And in addition to all the reunions and everything else happening, there's just so much great stuff happening with newer bands as well. And I'm, I know you've been around for a minute, but I'm going to include you in there too, right? There's uh there's this great melodic post hardcore pop punk that ha- thing happening. And then all the shoegaze and nineties influence bands. That's like another thing. Uh, so we're, we're just getting, we're just getting good stuff from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, um, I don't know, it's amazing to see stuff that maybe would have been dismissed because people might have not had as open minds about it before get a uh, chance taken on it. Like I mentioned, uh, you know, Soul Glow earlier, like just seeing them get to play Lollapalooza, <laughs> you know, I'm like this hardcore punk, screamo, hip hop you know, fusion of a band get to like play on a big stage. That's amazing to me, you know, drain, uh, you know, a thrash hardcore crossover band, you know, getting like a billboard chop charting album is like amazing. Uh, so I'm just so stoked to see 
people give things more chances and you know i feel like back before like you were in the hardcore scene and stuff like it was a very straight and narrow like you can listen to these bands but you can't listen to these bands exactly Uh, i'm so glad that's i mean at least for me that's not a thing anymore but i was definitely locked into that mindset when i was 16 17 18 yeah yeah no me too and i mean more so i feel like even weirder in emo i think it was a thing where like you know the emo revival thing but then you know it's kind of a thing where we're all doing music that is you know on our own terms and in our own way so i i do find a lot of times like support from local bands that aren't even related to really what we do but are still cool to us like um in end it you know who's also from our city Pat books at Metro Gallery, and he was the one who reached out to me uh, through our band's Instagram, saying like, "Hey, do you want to open this Fairweather Liars Academy show?" And I was like, "Oh, it's awesome!" You know, because like we love that band, even though they do a more straightforward style of hardcore that you know isn't related to what we do. Um, but they like all showed up to that show, you know, and we're pretty much I think most of the band was there just to come check it out and hang out. So I see a lot more like community and people like go weaving in and out between scenes. Um, yeah. I mean, I've always loved it all. I'll go to whatever I'll go to a, a straight edge beat down, whatever, but I'll also go see a emo shoegaze thing or a twinkle emo thing or a indie thing, art rock, whatever. It's, it's all cool to me, you know, as cheesy as it sounds like a, I listen to everything guy, but, uh, I do think that's the beautiful thing about growing up in a small town and then moving to a city is that I can see, you know, anything I want from hip hop to screamo to hardcore or whatever on any given night of the week. I love it. We're lucky here in the Northeast. We get everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I think there's just, I, I didn't realize how lucky I was until I toured. And then I would go to places in the Midwest and be like, man, like, <laughs> you know, some of y'all like, it's like, you have your town, and then the next town is like way the fuck over there. <laughs> Just but, really far away, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas us, it's like, you know, I mean, there's an Amtrak that runs to all the major cities. There's the bus line. There's, you know, uh, and even driving, you know, it's not that bad. Like, I drove from fucking Baltimore to Poughkeepsie because I wanted to get my wife um, a cool birthday present. So I took her up there to see Cursive do the... Um, domestica like anniversary tour because it was like on a saturday and she loves upstate new york uh she's always just really been in love with that area of the u.s so i you know got us a place to stay and it was with thursday and uh, anthony green from circus survive was the opener and it was just awesome man i mean i had so much fun um and that's the thing is like i do feel special that in the northeast if you see something really cool I don't know, the way tours are structured, it's like, okay, realistically, how bad is it to drive two to four hours to something if you really are stoked on it, you know? That's nothing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, compared to, you know, someone that might live in the Midwest or even California, where shit's spaced more apart, yeah. Yeah, where the state is like its own country, yeah. so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It makes me feel spoiled when I'm like, oh, shit, like, I don't want to drive down Baltimore, Washington Parkway to go to this weekday DC show, but it's special, you know, how close it is. Well, Will, uh, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show and, you know, continued luck to you and the rest of the band. I'm really digging what you're doing and uh, thank you. 
Yeah. Thank you, Keith, for having me. It was wonderful talking. And uh, yeah, I just uh, hope to continue to keep up also with the Darling Fire. Maybe we can uh, do a gig in Baltimore or New York together or somewhere in between. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk after this. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right, man. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Will Teague. Excellent conversation from an excellent up-and-coming band. Really nice to hear from Will. We covered a lot of different topics. It was good to hear about their influences, people they came up with, how their band came together. And I'm glad I discovered the band. And I'm glad I have this show. Because like I was saying to Will, I was listening to them And then a mere two days later, we connect on Instagram, and I'm like, hey, come on the show. Boom. Done. Just like that. So I'm looking forward to seeing more from Dosser, and I'm looking forward to seeing Dosser at some point. They got to play up here soon, right? Right? Yes. So thank you so much, Will, for coming on the show. So let's check in, huh? How are we doing? How are we doing? I just got back from a trip this past weekend to Philadelphia. I haven't hung out in the city in, let's see, four years? Yeah, I think it's been about four years. Um, I went down there primarily, well, I went down there to see friends, right? Whoever would hang out with me. My best friend from fourth grade, his name is Rob. He lives in the city, right? So I went down there to hang out with him. By the way, he does an excellent comic called Neon Wasteland. Google that, check it out. If you're into comics, you'll like this. Trust me. So I hung, we, me and Rob have been meaning to hang out since the last time we hung out back in 2019. So I went down there and we hung out and caught up on old times and played video games and all that good stuff. And he has a kid now. Well, he had a kid before, but he has a four-year-old child. The child was a mere baby last time I met her. And as I'm going to his house, I'm like, wait, The kid is going to be older now. And I didn't remember how old because my brain is all scrambled. So, I mean, to see him with a young daughter and his wife and everything, it was just, you know, crazy because I've known this guy since fourth grade. It was just good to talk and catch up. You know, he works from home. I work from home. And we were talking about that stuff. You know, I've talked about it on the show before, but I think life really changed for me during the pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, I went out a lot more. I felt compelled to go out a lot more. I went to more shows. I just, you know, I was more a part of life. And I guess in some ways, I still am in the pandemic. I don't like to go out as much. I have increased anxiety. I just, I don't know. I'm just in a lot more. And plus, the work that I do now requires me to be in. And I'm older, you know? I mean, I'm thinking about when I was like, 37, 38 years old. I'm 41 now. And look, a lot has changed in those few years, but I'm climbing out of it a little bit, right? Like when I was getting ready to do this little darling fire run of shows, the five days, six days, whatever it was, I booked this trip to Philadelphia because I felt compelled to. I was like, yes, let's get out. Let's do some things. And uh, I will continue to do it. You know, I was talking to Tommy this past weekend. I think he's going to come visit up here. My friend Rob, who I was just talking about, I think he's going to come up here. So, you know, with old friends, uh, with people I know who I haven't seen for a long time and want to see, 
I am compelled to hang out with them because it's fun and good and healthy to get out and see people. And I was staying in Center City. So I got up early Saturday and just took a walk around Fishtown in Kensington, where I used to live, past some old spots. Uh, not not any bad spots, you know. I'm just talking like places I used to live and eat and stuff. Uh, so I walked by my old houses and just walked around and listened to music and thought about old times. And it was pretty trippy, you know. It's trippy being back there because, you know, at this point I've lived in New York City longer than I ever lived in Philadelphia. So it's uh, a lot of things change in Philly, but a lot don't too. Uh, so... Yeah, but it was nice to walk around, you know, and I wrapped that up by noon because, you know, again, the heat, the heat is so oppressive and the humidity, I hate it, I don't like it, I don't want it. So I went back to the hotel and sat in the air conditioning and chilled out. And then I went and met up with Mike Shaw. That's right, Mike Shaw from this day forward. By the way, he was on episode two of, he was the first interview we ever did on this podcast. Episode two, check it out. I was with him. And Grant Johnson, we know Grant Johnson, former Syracuse legend and now current Philadelphia legend, Grant Johnson, who was on episode eight of this podcast. So go check that out. So we went to Grindcore House, had some coffee, walked around South Philly, hung out. That was nice. So good to see those guys. Good to catch up with some friends. You know, I haven't been down there in a long time. And then late Saturday, I took a walk around Center City. I was in Rittenhouse Square, just sitting there on the phone for a while, hanging out, walked down Market Street where I used to work. So I, I completed the uh, trifecta or the quadfecta or whatever you want to call it. Fishtown, Kensington, South Philly, Center City. Got to see everything I wanted to see. Got to do mostly everything I wanted to do. Perfect. And now I'm back and I'm tired. And I've got a long week ahead of me. A long week. You know how many recording sessions I'm doing for the podcast this week? Four, okay? Four. That's a lot. It's a lot of prep work. That's a lot of work. And I'm exhausted. And I've had no time to relax, really. But besides that, everything's good. Show's going great. In addition to today's episode, we've got some really outstanding shows coming up. You're going to be very happy. And... That's it. That's all I can think of. I got nothing else. How about this? How about this? I played Resident Evil 2 Remake, right, for the first time. I just finished the Leon scenario, so I'm going to move into some of those B scenarios that you get when you unlock the game. That's such a good game. Really highly recommended. Very scary, too. When uh, Mr. X appears and starts chasing you, I didn't realize he just chases you nonstop for the entire game, basically, until it's over. Wow. Pretty nerve-wracking, but uh, good times. I've been working on a 120-star run on Mario 64 for about, I don't know, two years now. Almost done with that. Can't wait to be done with that, honestly, because, look, Mario 64 is like some good nostalgia and everything, but to be honest, it's kind of an annoying game, and the controls are bad, and I, I just want to be done with it. Like, it's been fun, but I want to be done with it, okay? I'm going to finish it, and then that's that with that game. Yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty much it. Working on some new music with Darling Fire. We're hopefully going to have some shows coming up soon. And other than that, it's business as usual here. So that is it. That's everything I've got. Okay, so check this out. We're going to end the show 
with a song recommendation. Now, I've been listening to this song a lot over the past few weeks. It's really grabbed me. I keep trying to find other stuff like it, but nothing nothing is quite giving me that same feeling. When I'm down, I listen to it. When I'm up, I listen to it. I listen to it a bunch of times to carry me through Terrence's death, my friend Terrence, who I talked about on the last episode. And uh, while I was walking around Fishtown in Kensington, right, I was listening to an old Howard Stern interview. He was interviewing Gallagher too, right? You know the comedian Gallagher? Did you know there was two Gallagher's, him and his brother? So it wasn't even an interview with Gallagher himself. It was a Howard Stern old interview with Gallagher too. And I'm walking around Fishtown and I'm walking around my old neighborhood and I'm like, hey man, to myself, I'm like, hey, shouldn't you like be in the moment more? Like, shouldn't you take this in? Shouldn't you remember things? Shouldn't you feel things and maybe not listen to this interview with Gallagher too? It was a fine interview, but I felt maybe I should be more present in the moment. So I turned off the interview and just walked around and looked at things and took it all in. And then I put on this song for the hundredth time over these past few weeks. The band is Helio. The song is Emancipation. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks everybody for listening and until next time. Thank you.